Good morning, City Life. My yeah, I like it. My name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's Labor Day weekend, and we're right smack in the middle of it. I want to thank you for joining us today. If this is your first Sunday here, or uh, if you're feeling a little new, uh, you're in good company because this is only week four for us as a church. Uh, so everybody's new. Uh, so I want to catch everybody up just a little bit to where we're at, where we've been, where we're coming from. We are on the last week of a sermon series that we've called Jesus Saves. Okay, we've used the Bible to look at the lives of people who Jesus has saved. So we looked at a paralyzed man who Jesus healed. And we saw that Jesus saves by healing both body and soul. Okay, we looked at uh, a woman who was caught in adultery. She was brought before some religious people to be stoned. And we saw that Jesus saves from sin and death and shame. And last week we looked at Zacchaeus. He was a little cheat of a man. And we saw that Jesus saves for his own joy and for our joy. And so one thing I want you to know about City Light Church. One thing I want everybody to know about City Life Church is that we believe Jesus saves. We believe what the Bible says about him is true. We believe he really can and really does save people even today. We believe that he is the Son of God sent by God to save people from the wrath of God to relationship with God. Okay, Jesus saves, and we preach that in our first month every week because we want there to be no doubt in our people, in our city, that this church believes that Jesus saves. Okay, so we're going to dive into Scripture again to look at that one more time. Here's where we're headed. I've got three points today. Jesus saves. Number two, the gospel sounds. And number three, we pray. I almost got three S's. Say sounds, but I didn't make it. We pray. Okay, straight from the text. Uh, Let's start with number one. Jesus saves. The passage that Doug just read is from a book called 1 Thessalonians. Okay, Paul was a missionary church planter guy. And he planted a church in a Greek city called Thessalonica. And the people from that city were called Thessalonians. So this book is just a letter that a church planter wrote to a church that he planted in a city. Okay? I feel like we at Council Bluffs can relate a little bit to Thessalonica. All right? They are on the Mediterranean Sea, and we're on Lake Manawa. They're right next to Mount Olympus, the tallest mountain in all of Greece. We're right next to Mount Crescent. Some of the best students in all of Iowa. They were a new little church plant, wondering, are we doing it right? Did we get it? Are we missing something? We're a new little church plant. Okay? How good would it be to hear from the apostle a letter of encouragement? Hey, we really got it. We got it. We're on the right path. This is what Paul was writing to their church plan. I want to hear his words fresh for us 
today, okay? So here's our text. 1 Thessalonians. I want to look at verses 9 and 10, because this is the encouragement of this passage. Okay, read it. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we have among you. This is a confusing sentence. They are people outside Thessalonica. People not from that town. Okay? They themselves, outsiders, report concerning us. So Paul had planted a church in Thessalonica, and people from uh, outside Thessalonica had heard what Paul did there. So those outsiders are reporting about Paul, or concerning Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy. Okay? They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you when we were there. What happened? How did you receive us? Okay? This is what's going on. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath. What report did Paul hear about this little church in Bethlehem? What was the report? They got saved. Jesus saves. He heard from people outside the city that had heard what happened inside the city, that they were turning from idols to God, the living and true God. They're waiting for Jesus, who was raised from the dead, to come back from heaven. They got saved. And when they got saved, they did three things. Okay, I want to see three actions in the text. So let's look at this together, and we're going to explain these three. You turned to God from idols. The first thing they did was turn. Okay? You turned to God from idols to serve. They served the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus. They turned, they served, they waited. Listen, when the Thessalonians got saved, their lives changed. They turned to God from idols. What's an idol? An idol can be like a little golden statue or a carved piece of wood, right? And actually, the, the Thessalonians have all kinds of objects of worship like this throughout their city. Uh, they were uh, in the Greek culture, and there was a pantheon of mythological gods that these people served. They were only 50 miles from Mount Olympus. Okay? That's the tallest mountain in Greece. They believed it was home to the 12 most primary gods of the Greek pantheon. And so being that close, they're just a center of this pagan religion. And so there are temples on every corner with statues and shrines to any number of gods to worship. You walk down the streets, and these temples would just call for you to come in and give these idols your praise. Okay? The Thessalonians turned. They turned from idols to the living and true God. Can you relate to this? What does it look like to turn from an idol? Idols don't have to be just a carved statue. Okay, a simple Google search for the definition of an idol will tell you it doesn't have to be a statue. This is what Google says. An idol is a person or thing 
that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. What do you admire? What do you love? What does your heart revere? Whatever that thing is, if you love it more than you love Jesus, it can be, it will be, it is an idol. Okay? I don't think our city has a pervasive pagan mythology full of countless gods uh, to worship. But I do think that our church has a pervasive commitment to idolize the things that we love. A guy named John Calvin once said that our hearts are idol factories. What he meant was we are worshipers. Did you notice what happened when the Thessalonians got saved? They didn't stop worshiping altogether. They were worshipers before they got saved, and they were worshipers after they got saved. What changed was the object of their worship. So Calvin says, our hearts are idol factories. That means we want to and long to worship something. If it's not Jesus, it's going to be something else, and that thing is an idol. All right? Um, there's a pastor named Tim Keller uh, in New York. He's really helpful here. He helps me see uh, and shape this idea. So I want to quote him. Sin is not only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. So the question is, what are we worshiping? More specifically, what are you worshiping? There are all kinds of commonplaces. Some seem good, some are very clearly bad. Right? It could be your job, or your motorcycle, or your favorite sports team. It could be your body, or somebody else's body. It could be uh, substance. The list goes on and on and on. What do you love in the What are you worshiping? Uh, sometimes it's a good thing, especially in Christian circles. If you've been in a church for a long time, sometimes it's hard to point out your items. Keller says that we can take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, and that's idolatry. So let's go through just a couple of examples. Is your job a good thing? Yes. Just ask anybody without one, right? Everybody wants a job. You want work for your hands and money for your pockets. Is your job better than Jesus? No, just ask anybody that has one, right? Jobs are stressful. They're work. Sometimes they take more than they give. If you love your job more than you love Jesus, it's an idol. Okay? Are the Hawkeyes a good football team? I'm going to go with yes, okay? I'm a Hawkeye fan. They won yesterday. Uh, they're a good football team. At the very least, they're better than the Hawkeyes. Oh, yeah. I'm a 
And the reason I can say that's true is because I went to college and things changed. I wasn't in a small town where traditional morals were praised anymore. Um, it was very different. In fact, the very first day I was at college, my folks got knocked, they went home. I went out on a green at college, there was a group of people standing there, so I walked up, said hi. And that day, Hours after I was dropped off, I got offered drugs for the first time at college. Okay? Um, people made fun of me because I was so naive. They said, hey man, you want a bowl? And I thought, I have to say something, but I just was racking my brain, what's he talking about? And so uh, after a couple of minutes of awkward silence, probably wasn't even minute, it's all about After a time of awkward silence, I said, Talk about a bowl of ice cream? Uh, <laughs> and he like bent over laughing and said, No man, weed! Do you want to smoke a bowl of weed? That's what I want to do. And now I look back, it's kind of funny then, but he still is uh, a bowl. Uh, but at the time I was terrified. I was terrified about how I would respond to that because I was a people pleaser. And I lived my life learning how to be good because it pleased people. And now being good didn't please the people around me anymore. I didn't know what to do. And so I said, no, and my worst fear was realized. They never spoke to me, ever. And that situation happened time and again. And all of a sudden, I found myself alone in my dorm room a lot. I was burning bruises by being a good and there was one weekend, I remember very vividly, there was a party out of these caves. They were beautiful caves, and they would have pretty loud parties out there. And there was a party out of the caves, I wasn't even invited. People knew I would say no, so they stopped inviting me. And I walked up and down the hallway in my dorm, every floor. I was literally the only person I could find in my entire existence. I'm pretty sure most of them were at the cave. I'm pretty sure the rest of them, Jesus just had me to go with because he wanted to be trusted. I sat in my dorm room on the floor in tears. And I said, you know what, God? If this is who you want me to be, I don't know that I want to be that guy anymore. Everybody else is having fun. Everybody else is loving life, and mine just keeps getting worse. I don't have any friends. I don't know how to have fun. There is nothing to do, nowhere to go, and no one to be with anymore. It's just me and you. And I, I don't know if I can do this. And I didn't intend to pray, but I had to talk to somebody. He's the only one left. That's why everybody else is out of the building. I'm convinced. He's like, I got to talk to you because no one will listen, right? And in that moment, it wasn't an audible voice, but the strangest thing happened. I just felt like God said, Eric, I've made you different. I got why. And I, you know, it wasn't a, I made you different than them, very specific, you're doing a good thing. It was much more general. It was, Eric, I made you as a human to live differently than the way that you desire to live. Not just because you don't want to go do bad things. You need to find your identity in something else. You love something more than you love me. Why do you long for the praise of men? 
made me. I want to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I made you different. Find out why. And moments later, I'm telling you, moments later, the tears dried and my heart shifted. My heart shifted because I started thinking, man, instead of wondering what I'm missing out on in the cave, I start wondering what I'm missing out on in Christ. If he made me differently, why am I living for that? Why am I living for him? If he's really better, why would I go back to that? Hallelujah. I don't live this perfectly, okay? You can ask my wife. She gives you all kinds of examples. I still love the crazy woman. My heart is bent to that. And I have to turn from it daily. It's a challenge, okay? But I can promise you, Jesus is better. He is so much better. He told a woman one time that he has living water. Alright, let me read for you a passage from the book of John. Jesus said to this woman, everyone who drinks of this water, this well that she's getting water from, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Listen, everybody thirsts for something. That's why we pursue something to praise and something to worship. I was promised I will quench that thirst with this glass of water. And you can drink that glass and it'll be quenched, but moments later you'll be thirsty again and you've got to go back. Jesus is better because he says, your heart thirsts and I'll give you a spring of water that will well up forever into eternal life. He's better than idols. And the Thessalonians saw that when they heard the gospel and they turned, they turned their worship from those things that can't satisfy to Jesus, the only one that can satisfy you now What report did Paul hear about the Thessalonians? He heard they got saved in his time. Point number one, Jesus saves. Okay, point number two, let's get back to the outline. Uh, in our text, we see that Jesus saves. So Paul says something interesting. Okay? Uh, he, what happened was, Paul and his buddies, they went to a city, they preached the gospel, people heard that gospel, they formed a little church, and then he says that that church became a megaphone for the gospel in the whole region. Okay? This, let's read the text together. Um, verses 6 through 8 in the chapter Paul wrote, and you, Thessalonians, became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. You see what happened? Paul planted a church, and the gospel went out. 
It, it sounded forth. It resounded from them. It got louder and went further and wider than it had before. When they received the gospel, it was like there was an echo chamber. It was preached in a hole, and the whole region heard it, and it reverberated throughout. Okay? The gospel sounded forth from their church. Let me tell you a little bit about how it happened. I sat at a crossroads. An east, a major east-west highway, pretty much the only real highway that went through Greece and, and then across a little bit of water but get to Rome. The only one it sat right on. And not only that, it sat on a bay of the Mediterranean Sea. So there was port access, and from there you could take goods north into Europe. So it's on an east-west highway, it's the, it's the end point of a north-south highway, and it's on the Mediterranean Sea. And so there were all kinds of people that went through Thessalonica all the time, from all over the place. And when the gospel was preached in that city, and a church was started, the gospel went from there to everywhere those travelers were going and coming from. They heard the word in that city. Let me remind you of all the towns of Bluffs. We got I 80, the interstate highway, we got I 9, an interstate highway, we got the river, right? There's enough people that drive through our town that the gospel might sound forth from here in the same way it did from Thessalonica. When Paul planted a church in that town, it became easier to plant churches in other towns. Okay? Paul found that after he preached the word in Thessalonica, he would go to other towns in Macedonia and Kenya, and they'd already heard the gospel. They already knew what had happened when he went there. It reminds me a little bit of city life, family churches that were a part of it. If you know the story, here's what happened. About three and a half years ago, Two guys planted a church in Midtown Omaha in an old church building. They called it City Life Church. And those two guys just worked hard to preach the gospel. And the people in that church prayed hard that God would do something among them. And the Holy Spirit started to move, and people started getting saved. And over the next year and a half, the church grew to several hundred people. And while they were praying, they prayed every night uh, together in the body. While they were praying, one day, uh, they just felt like God was saying, hey, you need to plant another church. And before their second birthday, they decided, we're going to plant a church a mile and a half down the road. The word of the Lord, sounding forth from one part of the city to the next. And before their third birthday, they planted a church called City Life Vincent. And even before that church was planted, the people would continue to pray. God, keep doing this. We want people to get saved. We know you're that kind of God. What can we do? What are you going to do in us? And before their first church was planted, they started praying about and pursuing a church plan in Trump of Lust. And just after their third birthday, we were planted here in this church. Three churches, three years. And now, before the fourth year, 
The citywide family of churches is going to launch another church in Wayne, Nebraska. Save some hustlers. Jesus, make it happen. <laughs> the word of the Lord sounding forth is going out. This is a virtuous cycle. One church that was planted got to support a second church that was planted. And then when we got planted, we had two churches helping us plant. And now, when Lincoln gets planted, they have Midtown and Benson and us, and we're all helping Lincoln get planted. And the next church is going to have four. The word of the Lord sounded forth from Thessalonica. And planting the church there made planting the church elsewhere easier. And I'm here to say, planting a church here should make God be, God be gracious. Planting churches out there easier. We want to be an echo chamber of that gospel. We want other people to know what we know, that Jesus saves. Paul said, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, and it went forth everywhere, so that he didn't have to say anything. God, may the preaching of the word here multiply and the preaching of the word there. Okay. Point number one, Jesus saves. Point number two, the gospel sounds. And point number three, we pray. Okay? We pray. If you're following along, flip just a couple pages to the right. The second Thessalonians chapter Uh, well, I jumped ahead. Are we ready for the video? No video. No video today. Okay. Okay. Then, so I, yes. jumped, then I jumped right. Okay. Number three, we pray. Second Thessalonians 3. Um, Jesus saved people in Thessalonica. The gospel was sounding forth from them. And their church planter, Paul, he's a missionary church planter. Okay. Doug and I planted here. I would love to be here until I'm an old man baptizing your kids and grandkids and handing off the torch. That's my vision. That's not Paul. Paul was a missionary church planter. So you plant one, raise up leaders, move on. He's somewhere else. He writes back to them and he has a request. This is what he says. 2 Thessalonians 3 1. Finally, brothers, my family, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. And be honored as happened among you. Paul said, Oh brothers, what happened among you was beautiful. You received the gospel. People got saved. That word spread out across the whole region and nation. People were hearing, We want that. I want that to happen again and again. Brothers, Pray that that word would speed ahead. The Greek word there literally means to strive with all your mind. Right? It reminds me of Usain Bolt. The Olympics just a few months ago. This guy, has, he's running faster than anyone in the world has ever run. He spent his life training and working and laboring to make his body move his muscles that way. And then when you watch him, He's running faster than the fastest man in the world. And he makes it look easy. <coughs> Paul is saying, oh brothers, 
Would you train that way? Would you strive that hard? Would you labor like that in prayer so that the gospel might speed ahead like you say both does? Beautifully and quickly and powerfully. See, like one other thing that we believe. We believe Jesus saves, but we also believe that prayer works. Uh, Paul asked his people to pray. Do you believe that Jesus is going to hear your prayers and respond? Yes. Do you believe that? We started public services here just four weeks ago. Okay? About um, back in April, we started core team services. Anyone here remember what we did before that? It was a year ago this weekend. When we had our very first meeting to say, God, what are you going to do with Calvary Bluffs? What kind of church might you do any time again? One year ago. Do you remember what we did between Labor Day and Easter? We spent seven months praying, God made this a place where you are worshiping. We prayed for the core team, for the people who jumped on board early. God, would you unite us in love? For you and for our city. We pray for the people who weren't here yet, the lost and the disillusioned, people who've been to church and were hurt or uh, were lost, even in their in their circumstance. We pray for people who've never been to church and said, Oh God, would we would you plant a church that would be the kind of life that would draw those people in? Would you seek and save the lost? We believe you're gonna do that. God, we want to soak in prayer everything that we will do, everything that we will do, so that it's about you, not about us. God, would you draw the world into our midst? We pray for our city. We love this city. And we pray, oh God, would you feel the brokenness that comes from addiction and trafficking and poverty and abuse? Listen, we haven't been around for very long, but we've Pray for a year and already you see God He is planting a church. People are getting saved. They're, we're back to the picture to show. The gospel is sounding forth. I want to give you a challenge today. Okay? Here's the challenge. Will you regularly pray? This simple prayer. I don't know what regularly means for you. Uh, it is daily when you get up. It is each week. I don't know what your prayer habits are, but would you commit to regularly pray this simple prayer for our church? It's basically what Paul asked the Thessalonians to pray. Lord, cause your word to speed ahead and be honored in our church, in our city, in our neighborhood. Would you commit to praying this? Lord, Cause your word to speed ahead and be honored in our church, in our city, in our world. What might God do if we regularly pray the simple prayer together? His word might actually speed ahead. Yeah. It might actually sound forth and resound. His word might uh, cause lost people to be found. <clears throat> His word speeding ahead, the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the power that's behind that, might uh, give us freedom from the bondage that we 
alone. And we're satisfied in Christ alone. God might raise up church planters and sing group leaders and missionaries from this family to sound the word for who, who knows what God might do? This is what I know. Jesus saves. And we pray.